Summer's upon us. It's vacation season in America. I know that we got several families here at Rock Valley Bible Church who are, are gone and uh, on vacation. And for us in America, most of this means that just maybe getting away uh, for a season uh, someplace in America. Uh, millions of families will spend some time breaking away from their regular lives to get a, a regeneration and renewal in terms of what their, their life is and what they're doing. Vacation may be spent seeing family. Uh, vacation may be spent uh, enjoying some activities of life, uh, whether on the beach or, or watching shows someplace in Branson or Las Vegas or wherever people like to go. Vacation may be spent in historic or important cities, say New York or Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia. Vacations may be spent um, seeing various tour stops, Mount Rushmore or Disney World or Alcatraz. Vacations may be spent in the, the wonders of creation, which I think is the most refreshing for all of us to see the wonders of creation, whether it's the Rocky Mountains or Yosemite or Crater Lake or just these, these places that inspire awe into us. And on those trips, people take photos and, and videos, and perhaps more now than ever before, with everybody with phones in their pockets. We all have phones are handy, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not uncommon to see people taking pictures all the time. And, and they take these pictures, and they'll post them on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Be Real or any of the other social media ways, trying in some way to, to capture the moment and communicate it to, to family and friends and, in some cases, the world of just what it is that they are doing in the summer. But, but somehow, have you ever noticed the pictures that are taken are never exactly quite the same of being there? Um, in fact, they're not even close when you consider the great wonders of the created world. I've often thought about some invention that would be able to see and experience things like, like they are. And maybe VR headsets come close but still it's, it's clunky and it's not all the way around. But I don't know if anything like that would be ever be invented. Otherwise, we won't ever leave our homes. We could just leave our homes and travel virtually, but you can't do that. you got to go and, and see it and experience it. And I'm just telling you that a picture of the Grand Canyon, like these folks on vacation here, just doesn't compare with being there. There's something about this two-dimensional image that just can't capture the depth and the grandeur of our creation. A, a picture of a, the maid in the mist on Niagara Falls can't capture the feeling of the moment with all the, the wind and the, and, and the rain and the, the height of the falls and the water that's coming there. just can't quite catch the chaos of everything that's happening there at the feet of Niagara Falls or the, capturing a picture at the base of a redwood tree. As much as that tries to, there. On, on the screen, it can't catch the, the height. And it might catch the enormity there in, in just a small way, but it's different when you walk up to it and can, can see and look up the redwood tree. It just, it just can't be done to see the, the glory and grandeur of, of everything. Though, though we try, and I think we ought to try, we ought to try to capture any bit of glory that we see well, this morning we're going to see the Apostle John try, because he took a trip. It wasn't vacation, but it was a trip. It was a trip to heaven, and John had a chance to see the throne room of God Almighty. Now, he didn't take a picture of the place, but he did give us a short description 
of what it is that he saw. And his description is recorded for us in Revelation chapter 4. My message this morning is entitled, A Glimpse of Glory. Because that's what we're going to see here in Revelation chapter 4. John is going to give us just a, an, an ever little glimpse of heaven. And I would, would argue that this glory of God that we will see here this morning is even far greater than the Grand Canyon or, or Zion National Park or any place that we might go and see the wonders of our, of our own creation. It, it is the, the glory of God. And, and John will give us not a picture. You know, they said a picture is worth a thousand words. Revelation 4 has about a third of that. I count up 335 words, English words anyway, in Revelation chapter 4. That, that's not even a thousand words. I can't even give you a picture. I can't even give you a third of a picture this morning of what is taking place of what, what John saw. But my aim, though, is clear. I want to just open up this text to give you as great a sense as possible of what John saw in heaven of the glory of God. Let's, let's read these 335 words right here in Revelation chapter 4. John says this, After I looked, after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the thrones came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an, uh, like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. Verse 1 begins with John describing his experiences. He, he says, after this, that is, after the events of chapter 1, when John heard this voice telling him to write down everything that he saw and to send it to these churches in Asia Minor, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and to Laodicea. After this, in verse 1, is, is after hearing Jesus speak to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. So it was, it was after Jesus spoke. Now we don't know how much of a time gap took place here. 
And, and I would assume maybe a little bit because John had to write everything down. Or, or maybe later, in the inspiration of God, Jesus made it clear to him, remembering what exactly he said. Or, or maybe when, when John heard a letter, maybe he dictated a letter and got it all down and waited for Jesus. He said, okay, Jesus got that letter, what's the next one? And got that letter, what's the next one? And as soon as he finished Laodicea, he said, okay, what's the next letter? And Jesus says, no, we got a, we got a trip planned. <laughs> We're going to take a, a trip to heaven And having finished his writing, a new scene emerges. John looks. He says he beholds a door standing open in heaven. Now, that may have been just an an archway of a door. It may have been a door on a hinge that was was clearly opened up. We we don't know. But somehow, here's this door in heaven that's clearly opened. And while he sees the door, he hears the voice. It's that same old voice in chapter 1. That first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said this. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And it's right here that the revelation right, begins to change. Now, up to this point, everything John has seen is, is in the present for John, right? Real churches and real cities. Um, John was writing to them, real people. And right now, just after this, things are going to begin to be spoken about in the future, in Revelation. And this right here, by the way, is where the controversy takes place in the book of Revelation because people start trying to figure out, okay, when is it going to be? And what's this sign? And what's that sign? And church family, one of the things that, that I fear as us at Rock Valley Bible Church is that we become so focused on the when that we forget the what. Because people often, even in America, right, we got some leisure, time. We're not persecuted. And we're focused on when all these things are going to be hap- happen rather than the, the what. <clears throat> people think that Revelation some sort of puzzle book to figure out. And I've told you before, Revelation is not a puzzle book to be figured out. It's a picture book to be looked at and adored and magnified and reveled in. It's a picture of what's going to take place in the future. And and what takes place in the book of Revelation after this? We see judgment. We're going to see a lot of judgment as God's going to pour out his wrath upon the unbelieving world. It's going to start with the seven seals that are opened up in chapter 6, beginning to bring out just the consequences of the evilness of people. And it's going to continue on with the trumpets in chapters 8 and 9. As these trumpets are blown and a third of the sea creatures are going to die and a third of the earth is burned up. And then we're going to see the bold judgments being poured out in chapter 16 when God is unleashing His final wrath upon the earth. We're going to see lots of judgment. But before that judgment, one of the things that John does is he says, Jesus says, whatever, in the orchestration and the sovereignty of God, says, you've got to see a picture of God first. God who is on the throne, who is ruling and reigning in history. It's the God who's going to make these things happen. In fact, if you look at, again at verse 1, the first voice said this, Come up here, I will show you what must take place after these things. It must take place because it will take place because God is the authority to make sure that these things take place. And that's really what I believe is the purpose of chapter 4. It shows God on His throne, ruling and reigning. As Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And that's why John has shown the Lord in all His glory. It really sets up the rest of the revelation with the Lord reigning and ruling on high as the Sovereign One is going to be able to pass all these judgments upon the earth. And you can even see that in verse 2. It says, At once I was in the Spirit, 
And behold, there was a throne in heaven with one seated on the throne. And, and John, if you will, sort of entered this portal of this door in heaven. Boom! And he comes into the sense right into the throne room of God. He was in center. He was in heaven. And in the center of heaven is God on the throne. In fact, that's my first point this morning. It is the throne. Kind of getting to the throne in verse 1 and then seeing the throne in verse 2. It's the first thing he saw. He saw this throne in heaven. Like, focus attention, right? As soon as he steps in the door, what's the first thing he sees? Boom, front and center. He sees the throne. The the, the throne is, in in Revelation 4, it occurs 11 times. In these 11 verses, it occurs 12 times, rather. This is the main thrust of Revelation chapter 4. It is the throne. It It is the theme the throne is a symbol of God's sovereignty, that God rules and reigns in heaven. And for the original readers of Revelation, this would have come as such a balm to their soul. This would have come as great comfort as they, they faced the persecution from the power of Caesar. John says this in his revelation, you know what, there's someone more powerful than Caesar. As Jesus dictates this to him, he says, God on the throne is far more powerful than any ruler upon the earth. And that, come great, that would come as great comfort for those who are facing the persecution from Caesar. And so the first thing that John mentions about this throne is the one who is seated on the throne. And we're just going to take these prepositional phrases talking about the throne. On the throne, he says there's, there's seated a man, or seated God rather, not a man, but he's seated on the throne. There's one there who is seated, kind of like we might be seated. God is sitting down. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if God had His feet up on a footstool, not worried or concerned about anything. God doesn't pace around in His palace saying, uh-oh, things are, things are out of control down there. Okay, what, what can I do? What can I do? You got any ideas, counselors? What, 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 what can I do? Like, He's not anxious. He's seated with everything under control. And when John describes the appearance of this one seated, this might, might shock you, he describes the one seated in, in light of precious stones. Look what he says, And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. <laughs> what a strange thing. I looked. He looked like jasper and carnelian, like these stones. Now, jasper is the same word used in Revelation 21, 11, which described as being clear as crystal. John saw this, whatever, stone or gem, clear, maybe looking through this crystal kaleidoscope, if you will. He also had the appearance of carnelian. It's a deep red color. Some have described it as looking at fire. So John is looks somehow this stone is sitting there on this throne. That's what John sees. He sees God as a stone. Now, of course, you need to catch the symbolic nature of this. God's not a, a precious stone. When Jesus described in chapter 1, he describes a glorious man with a, a golden sash around his chest, with his hair white like white wool, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, voice like the roar of many waters, sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, his face shining brilliant as the sun, like we sang today earlier. When God is seen in Revelation chapter 4, he's seen as these precious stones, right? This, this illuminating, clear, fiery sort of, sort of stone. But again, I remind you, this is apocalyptic literature. Strange and bizarre pictures. 
I mean, normally, right, God is some animate being, perhaps. Right? He's, he's, he's like, we're made in His image. But here, in this case, He's seen as these stones. And you need to understand that these strange and bizarre pictures can, can only be understood so far. They represent something beyond the vision. And as we understand what John saw, the glory of God, clear as jasper, right? Just um, like this red, fiery stone. And then John transitions from the one on the throne. He, he transitions then to what was around the throne. If you look again at verse 3, and around the throne, there was a rainbow that had the appearance as an emerald. John saw a rainbow. This rainbow had appearance as an emerald. Now, again, it's difficult to picture because for us, like this rainbow is, is in the sky. It, it goes from one end of the horizon up and around and, and to the other end of the horizon. But here we see the rainbow around the throne. Maybe a, a circular rainbow or, or, or maybe one that didn't even start on the ground maybe and ascend to the heavens. Maybe it was just this, this glow of a, a rainbow or maybe it's here or maybe it was this orb. We don't, we don't exactly know. Somehow it was, though, around the throne. It, it encompassed around the throne. And further, this rainbow is strange because it had the appearance of an emerald. What color is an emerald? Green. But what color is a rainbow? Roy G. Biv, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Like a rainbow is like, it's got different colors. The, the prism like opens it up. But here we've got this green, this green rainbow. And again, what does that mean? I have no idea what it means. There's this green rainbow here. Somehow it just communicates majesty, glory, and beauty of God's throne. And again, notice these like words. It has the appearance added. It, it sort of looked like this. You see that a lot in apocalyptic literature. It kind of looked like this. Because he's straining even to describe what he saw. And then for us to understand our glimpse of heaven, what it is like. And then in verse 4, we come with some other thrones. There are 24 of them to be exact. We read this. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. So not only you have this one throne, but you've got these 24 other thrones. And these thrones are around the throne. Now, John doesn't tell us if these thrones are outside the emerald rainbow or maybe they're inside the emerald rainbow he doesn't say whether they're around like in a disc in a circle around them or whether they're they're around kind of like a rainbow or whether they're three-dimensionally around we, we don't know we just got these 24 thrones and on the thrones were these elders we don't know who these elders are but there some have said they're they're people they're glorified saints some have said they're angels. Those who say that they are, are people say, that, well, look, they're clothed in white garments, have golden crowns on their heads. That, that alludes back to Revelation 2 and 3. Those who overcame in Laodicea were promised white garments and that they would sit on a throne. And then those in Smyrna and Philadelphia were promised crowns. And the symbolism is it's compelling, some say, right? Twelve. They got 24. They got Twelve from the Old Testament saints, representatives. And you have 12 New Testament, like the, the apostles. And so you got 24 of them representing a combination of Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, all now ruling in harmony around the throne of God. That may be the case. I don't know. There are others who say that the elders are angelic beings. And the biggest reason for that is how these elders appear later in the chapters of Revelation. They're often 
right? Distinct from people. Clearly, they can't be people. They're distinct from them. They're seen in Revelation chapter 8, holding the bowls of incense, which are the prayer of the saints. Like, holding, they're the saints. I've got the bowls, which are the prayers of the saints. And Revelation 5, 9, they sing the redemption in third person of what God did for people. They ransom, God ransomed people for God. Every tribe and language and people and nation. In Revelation 7, 11, we see them worshiping the Lord right alongside the angelic beings. Just kind of caught up in all of them. So some say they're angels. And like much of Revelation, I'm going to say, I have no idea. I'm not going to, I just don't want to tell you anything definitive that I can't say definitively. Somehow these beings, like clothed in white, like angelic beings are often clothed in white. They're, they're angelic beings. They're, they're white. They're pure. That's consistent with what angels are. But whoever they are, whatever they represent, they are prominent members around the throne of God to support the authority of the one who's on the throne. Have you ever noticed that uh, those who are most important in the world are surrounded by others? And the more you're surrounded by, the more important you are. A celebrity might have a, a bodyguard or two, a real important celebrity might have several. Right? The president had his cabinet around his table, and the president travels, he got his big motorcade. And so with God, he has 24 of these magnificent beings who sit on their thrones. They all rule and reign, but all their rules and reigns are submissive and subservient to the one who sits on the throne, subservient to the Lord. So as we continue on to verse 5, we've seen what is on the throne and what is around the throne, and now we see what comes from the throne. Verse 5, from the throne come flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Would we have been there? We'd have seen the, right, seen these, these lightnings flashing out. We would have heard the thunder, like just loud chaos is what we would have heard. John's experience of seeing this in heaven is so different than we have here. Many of you perhaps went to see fireworks this past Tuesday. As much as we try to capture the glory of the fireworks, right here, the grand finale, where everything's firing off, and everyone's looking wide-eyed, and at the end of that, what happens? What do we say? We say, oh, and then what happens after that? Yay! Right? Everyone's ha- like, that's, that's a similar feeling that we get in the throne of God where, where lightnings, and the lightnings aren't coming from heaven down to earth like we normally understand lightnings. These are the lightnings generated from the throne of God going up and out and just, just loud and bright and shiny. doesn't quite compare with what, what we have in these sounds. You have 335 words. How can that communicate all that this is, all that John experienced? But it's right here where you you see the mighty power and judgment of God. As we work through Revelation, we're going to see thunder and lightning often come at the end of judgments. Just saying, it's steady, it's firm, it's secure, this is what's happening. At the end of the seal judgments, in fact, Revelation, if you look at the outline of it, right there, there are times there are judgments, the seal judgments, and then there's an interlude, and then the trumpet judgments, and an interlude, and then the bowl judgments. And at the end of the seal judgments, the end of the trumpet judgments, at the end of the bowl judgments, you always see this peals of lightning and thunder, peals of thunder, a flash of lightning. Revelation 8, 5, we read of the angel who took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, the God's temple was in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. 
And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. After the bold judgments in Revelation 16, 16 verse 17 and 18, And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice out of the temple from the throne says, It is done! And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. And just the repetition of these same signs often cause people to think about, well, we're just seeing the same judgment from different vantage points. Because it's always ending with the thunderous rule and reign of God, these flashes of lightning, and the majesty of any fireworks display that we saw would have been made a mockery from this fireworks display that John saw coming from the throne. Well, after this, we see John describe what was before the throne. Right? That, is, that is between John and the throne. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. These seven torches of fire were, were burning, and, and John then gives this interpretation. That these are the seven spirits of God. We've seen them before. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, the introduction, grace to you and peace. From him who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. They're also mentioned to the dead church, Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven spirits of God, I've, I've said, are probably the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness, in, in all of his power. Which he got on the throne, we see the, 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 these torches before the throne, perhaps the Holy Spirit. We're going to see in chapter 5 of the Lamb of God. Jesus himself was going to make his appearance in heaven before the throne as well. Seated at his right hand. It probably speaks of the fullness of God. The whole members of the Trinity are right there in the throne room of God. There's something else was before the throne. If you look at verse 6, it says, And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So John is, is sitting there, right? He's, he's seeing everything. All these flashes of lightning, all these, these 24 elders around there, these, these uh, torches. And then before them, there's a sea like glass. So maybe speaks about some distance that, that he's got, right? In order to have a sea. It's not like a, 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 a river coming through here. It's not like a little lake. It's a sea. It is, it is big and it is vast. And he is, he is seeing God, but there's a distance between him and the throne. He wasn't up close. And surely, right, as he describes a sea of glass like crystal, it was reflecting all of these, all of these rays and all of this, um, these lightnings going forth, right? It's reflecting off of there, and he's seeing it as it is, just this multi-kaleidoscope of an experience of everything that he is seeing. The reflective surface only made to make the, served to make the throne of God more majestic. And all this is really a glimpse of the glory of God. I've tried in vain really to describe it for you. You might see the, the wonders of this throne room scene. But when others in the Scriptures saw this same theme, they were affected greatly. And if you're not affected greatly by what I said, I think it's because a picture is worth a thousand words and I only have a few words and I can't do it justice. But when Isaiah saw this scene, his response was one of brokenness. As he entered into the throne room of God, he said, Isaiah 6, 5, I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of an unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
He's just done before God. He's, he's, he's ruined is what I think the King James says here. So when, when he saw the scene of God and how, how vast and majestic it was, he bowed in humility and brokenness and contrition. Ezekiel saw the same scene. You can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 1. And Ezekiel had the same response as Isaiah. He said, when I saw it, I fell on my face. Such is the response that all of us ought to have when we enter into the glory of God. But today you've only seen just a glimpse of it. But would we be there? We as well would be on our face, broken and undone like Isaiah. Needing the redemption of the Lamb. Needing chapter 5 to come. And John here gives us just this glimpse. Now he set the scene. He set the scene of the throne. And then coming after that, in verses 6b through 11, we see the worship. This is how the text breaks up. It breaks up just right in half, right in the middle of a verse. We see the worship. And John first describes the worship by describing these beings that are are worshiping the Lord, these four living creatures. He says, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. We've never seen such creatures like this in all of our lives. Maybe that's why John doesn't have a name for them. He doesn't even say these were creatures like a horse or, or like a bird. Like the, These creatures were so different from anything that he had seen before. He simply called them four living creatures. They'll, they'll appear again in the book of Revelation, either performing worship like they do here or initiating judgment as they do in the other portions of Scripture where they are. But they're always called the four living creatures. Like this is a predominant scene, right? So catch it well. Right before the throne, right, you see this, this stone-like God on the throne flashing forth lightning, and you've got these four living creatures. And these creatures have eyes all around its body. So it says, it says all um, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The, the best I could do is think about a, our, our common house fly. Right, you got those big beady eyes, and I read this week that each of those eyes have 3,500 eyes in them. But they're not really eyes. They're called amatidia, which are really like light receptors. That's why they have these big, bulging eyes. They have, they have thousands of these light receptors. And if you know anything about a fly, it's very difficult to sneak up on a fly because as you go and you see a fly and you, you, try, to, you, you try to get it, it, it senses the change in light and, and senses it needs to get away. When the shadow of your arm and hand is coming or when the, the difference is, hey, something's different changing here and the fly can take off. But these creatures mentioned in Revelation 4 have eyes. They're not merely light receptors, but eyes in front and behind. They probably speak about their knowledge. They know what's going on. They see everything. Nothing escapes their notice. And these creatures are further described in, in verse 7. It says, The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And again, you've got to see these like words. These are super crucial to apocalyptic literature. There's like that. It's not, it's not that it was a lion. It was... It was like a lion. And it's not that it was an ox. It was like an ox. And a face like a man. An appearance like an eagle. When Ezekiel saw his vision, he used the same terminology. It's like. 
It's like this. In fact, Ezekiel saw these very same creatures. And when Ezekiel saw these creatures, he said each of them had four faces. He said on the right side was the face of a lion, on the left side the face of an ox. And on the one side was the face of a man, and the other side was the face of an eagle. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 10. And maybe Ezekiel had an opportunity to see the throne a little bit more. And as these creatures flew around, he got different vantage points on all different sides and saw these four faces on them. Maybe John just got a snapshot, just kind of looked up and only saw briefly these four creatures, and they're all oriented, so he saw four different faces. We don't know. And again, there's speculation in the meaning. What do they, what do they represent? Some say, well, there's Israel represented here, or there's power, or responsibility. I don't know what they mean. Other than, right, these creatures cover the gamut of the creatures we see on earth. The lion is the king of the wild beasts. And the ox is the strongest of domesticated animals. The human face is the face of intelligence. The eagle is the most magnificent of all the creatures in the sky. And maybe it represents just all of creation, all the created order, right, worshiping the Lord. The created animate beings worshiping the Lord. We get a, a further description of these Four living creatures in verse 8. And here, right, they're described as having six wings. It says in the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. So it's not just eyes in front and around, but they're all, all around and within. It's like this big big glob and all these eyeballs, but yet what looks like a, an ox. And don't, you can't draw it. The purpose is you can't draw what is there in the majesty of God. And these creatures have six wings. I don't know if we know creatures with six wings. Maybe a dragonfly has a front wing and a back wing. I don't know, but these are six wings. Isaiah gives us some detail about these wings. Isaiah, when he saw these four living creatures, he said each of them had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Now, why they did that, we could speculate to figure out why, but, but that's what they do. These creatures around the throne... Like more than just inanimate objects, all of a sudden we get these animate objects who are, who are giving worship to the Lord. And we see the worship coming in verse 8 when the soundtrack of heaven comes in. It says, In day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is, who was, and is, and is to come. They never cease to say this. Day and night. 365. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who who was and is and is to come. Join with me. What do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let's go. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That, that's the background noise of heaven. Amidst all the thunders and everything like that, that's the, the audible voice in whatever heaven language is, that, that audible voice that's just constantly reminding us of how great God is. And He was and is and is to come. This describes the essence of God more than any other attribute of God. It's His holiness. More than His goodness. Right? More than His love. More than His justice. His holiness because it, it consumes all of those other attributes. It's a difficult word to translate, this holiness. It's the idea of cleanness and, and purity. 
That which is holy is, is pure of defilement. It's, it's whiter than the best cleaner can ever clean a garment. It's purer than the most purest mountain spring water ever is. That's holy. It's pure. But holiness also is the idea of being set apart, right? You set your fine china apart. You set it aside for the, for the particular best occasion when your most special guests come for dinner. It's, it's set apart. It's pure. But all holiness also contains the idea of, of, of a perfect morality, one with no blemish of character, who has no sin in his behavior. This is holy. And it's repeated three times. When, when the Hebrew language wants to say very, often it just repeats things several times. It says very. It says not only God holy, not only is God holy, holy, but God is holy, holy, holy is who God is. He is very, very very, very holy, pure, set apart, different from us. That's who God is. He's set apart, pure without blemish. Set apart, pure without blemish. Set apart, pure without blemish. God is as different from us as anything that we can think of. And here John got a glimpse of that glory. Which, by the way, this is why we need Jesus. None of us are able on our own to enter into the presence of such a holy God. When Isaiah was in his presence, right, and he says, woe is me, and I'm lost, and I'm undone. He said, I, I, I have unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. It helps us to know that, that Isaiah was the most righteous man in the land. He was the prophet of God who was speaking to the people. When God spoke, I, when Isaiah spoke, God spoke. And yet he confessed that his lips were, were unclean. He was perhaps the most upright man in all of Judah, but compared to God, his uprightness was nothing and saw him ruined. He needed the cleansing touch of the coal from the fire. And so also we need the cleansing that comes through the blood of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins to bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So why Christ died is to, is to bring us to him. And we will see that next week when it's said of Jesus, chapter 5, verse 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's Jesus who paid the price, purchased our redemption, and brings us near to God. He was the Lamb who was slain, Revelation 5, verse 12. And the only way we can be right with the Holy God is through Jesus. Such is the holiness of God. And forever, throughout all eternity, the holiness of God is mentioned day and night, never ceasing. That's the worship of Revelation 4. But the worship of Revelation 4 isn't only seen with these four living creatures. It's also seen with the 24 elders. Verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever... The 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. Note the role there of verse 9. It's whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to God who lives forever and ever. Whenever that happens... The 24 elders join in worship. And when does that first happen in verse 9? When are the living creatures giving glory and honor and thanks to God? All the time, day and night, never ceasing, 
constantly giving worship to God forever and ever. And even the aspect is here is when he gives, they, these creatures give thanks and honor to God. Then the 24 elders say, oh, there's our cue. Right? This is our call to worship. Our call to worship is every time they, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're like, oh, here's our call to worship. And what do they do? 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. It's interesting here, we just get a different aspect of worship. You've got these, these flying creatures with their, their wings around the throne. <clears throat> and they are, they are giving worship and praise all the time, everywhere. But now you have ground-based worship from these elders who seemingly somehow are, are based on the ground. They don't have any wings. They, in fact, they, they sit on these thrones. And they fall prostrate before the throne of God. And they worship Him. It's interesting to note here the word worship at its core means to fall down before. As if to signal like, I am below you. Like, you're the one that I serve, right? Bowing and on the ground is the, the most deepest way that you can bow. And so even as it says here, you might translate this in the 24 elders. Fall down before Him who is seated on the throne, and they fall down before Him who lives forever and ever. It's just their, their style of worship is, is different here than the, than the four living creatures. And it also says that they cast their crowns before their throne. Now, I don't think they, they take their thrones and they like hurl them away because as soon as they hear holy, holy, holy again, they got to take their throne. <laughs> Where's my throne? Oh, there, there's my crown. Oh, there it is, right? They take their crown and they, they, they're taking their crown, right? That is a symbol of their authority. They get off their throne. They're not the ones in charge anymore. They get down on the ground. They fall before him. They take their throne, their crown and they, they cast it right down there before the, the throne as well, acknowledging not only that the, the throne isn't holding them, their crown isn't giving them authority either, just saying that God is above all. Clearly pointing out that God is supreme in all the land. It's not my throne. It's not my crown. It is you, Lord God Almighty. You deserve our praise. In fact, that's exactly what verse 11 is. God deserves our praise. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You deserve you are worthy of this because you, you deserve it. Now, none of us, right? We don't deserve anything, but we get accolades in, in our, our life when we do something well and we deserve, we get some medal or some honor, right? Because we've earned it. And what God has earned by just His being is He has earned the worship of these 24 elders, right? whoever they are, whether it's the, the Old Testament, New Testament saints, whether it's angelic beings, it's all about exalting God in the heavens. And God is worthy of our praise because for you created all things and by your will existed and were created. He created us. We are, we are the created beings and as He being the creator and we being the created, we must give all glory and honor to our creator. We must remember that, that He earned our praise. So let's give Him the glory and honor and power that, that He deserves. And let's never forget this. It goes back to creation. You just need to realize that everything that's around us, God created ex nihilo by His Word. And merely the fact that He is the potter and we are the clay gives Him sovereign right over us. It gives Him sovereign right over all of creation, which, again, getting back to the purpose of Revelation 4, I think the purpose is to set up and establish who it is this God is 
is going to execute judgment upon the earth, upon those who don't bow the knee to Jesus. And how important it is for all of us to be like those elders upon the, the thrones, getting off our throne and, and taking off any accomplishment we might have, any position, any accomplishment, taking that and putting it before God. That's what He deserves. That's what Revelation 4 calls us to do. Let us never forget this glimpse of glory. Let's pray. Father, I have tried in some small way to communicate what John saw. Oh, how it would have been better to take us all through that heavenly portal door to be there to see Your glory. And if we really genuinely saw Your glory, how changed people we would be as You change everybody with Your presence. So God, I pray even in the midst of revelation that we might see and remember and understand who you are in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our Sunday afternoon activities, in the midst of our Monday morning work. God, whatever we're doing, I pray that this vision of you would be constantly on our minds and, and, and the details and what exactly all this represents. God, we, we don't know, but the point is clear. God, that you're the sovereign one who rules and reigns over all things and we are to bend and bow the knee to you in all things for your worthiness, because you're holy and so different than us. And we acknowledge that. God, we've come in here not thinking that we are kings or queens upon this earth, but we know, God, that you're the one that rules and reigns upon this earth. And you will establish your kingdom. And I pray as we just continue to walk through Revelation and we see your, your sovereignty exerted, God, as we see people um, being destroyed because they rebelled against you, and yet seeing you also protect those who have trusted and loved in you. May, may we, God, love you and serve you with all of our hearts for all of our lives. God, knowing that indeed you are worthy, that you take worthy sinners to yourself, those who merely bow the knee to Christ. God, so impact us by this glimpse of glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.